going to take some time just to look at his word. Hopefully you brought your Bibles with you. If you have a Bible, hopefully you brought it with you. Um, we, we study uh, his word, spoken, inspired by him, written by men, but uh, containing truth. Uh, this this, uh, this morning, we're beginning a new series uh, called The Mission of Christ in His Church. Thanks to Melissa for putting together that cool graphic. And uh, today's message that we want to start with is a man on a mission. Uh, we've spent a number of probably nine weeks just talking about who, who God is, knowing Him for yourself. Uh, and now just to realize why He revealed Himself to us is simply that He's on a mission. Uh, and it's not just the mission of Jesus, but it's the mission of His church. And so uh, over the next number of months, you're going to hear from a number of different voices uh, and uh, the challenge, I guess, for each of us is always this, that we'd be listening for one voice. Any idea whose it is? That's right, his voice. That you would hear that prompting as you read his word and it jumps out at you. You're like, okay, Lord, I, I, I hear what you're saying to me. Uh, like was said earlier, we're coming from different places uh, in our lives. But his voice, his word, his truth uh, is what we believe to shine through no matter who's speaking. And so this morning, um, we're actually going to start this series off with a tag team message. So Brian's going to do part one and I'm going to do part two of the message this morning. So if you would, would you welcome him? Okay, well, I'm really excited to be here sharing this word. I've had this word for about five or six weeks, and uh, the Holy Spirit put it upon my heart, and I really want to share this with you. Now, we're just getting a little bit of back feed here. Mark's going to adjust it. That was good. Okay. So, um, I, this word is from Daniel chapter 11. So, if you could uh, turn with me to chapter 10, and then we'll get into chapter 11, because chapter 10 tells us what is taking place at this time in Daniel's life. So, uh, chapter 10, and we're going to start at verse 10 in Daniel. Just then I had, just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling to my hands and feet, the man said to me, O Daniel, greatly loved of God, listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, to me, I stood up, still trembling with fear. Then he said, Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. But for 21 days, the, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to me, and, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the king of, kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what was what will happen to your people in the future? For this vision concerns a time yet to come. So we're just going to, a time yet to come. In, um, just going to review and back up to verse 11. And as we know, this man was an angel of God. God sent to Daniel to reveal a vision and to give him a word from the Lord. And this is the first thing he said to Daniel. Oh, Daniel, greatly loved of God. 
Actually, actually, some other verses down, verse 19, he's, the angel again re- reiterated. But don't be afraid, he said, for you are deeply loved of God. And even in verse 9, the angel, archangel Gabriel came to Daniel with another vision. And just before he revealed that vision to Daniel, he said, The moment you began praying, a command was given, and I am here to tell you, for God loves you very much. Do you know God loves you very much? Hey, Jody, God loves you very much. Cor, God loves you very much. Yes, Dan, God loves you very much. Nancy, God loves you very much. Do you know that? Can each and every one of you lift your hand and say, God loves me very much. Can you do that? God loves me very much. Amen. Do you know how we know that? How do you know that? It says that God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his only son. Just think about that. Just ponder that. God gave his son. Sent his son down to this earth to die. Lay down his life for you. You know, in... And when Jesus was on that cross, one of the last words he said was, Eloi, Eloi, Iona, Shalach Bathani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Heavenly Father had to turn from his son because he'd taken all this sin, your sin, he'd taken all this film, and God the Father had to turn from his son. And Jesus said, My father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And this is because of God's love for you that he gave his only begotten son. I don't know about you, but I've come to, gone to my knees just pondering that and just pondering the love of the Father. Anyways, carrying on then, and um, this angel, going back to what Daniel, this angel revealing what was about to happen to Israel in the future, and even what's about to happen to Israel in the future we're living in. And Daniel, the, this word was brought to Daniel, and I'm going to read this. While he, he revealed to him about all these wars, about the south and the north, fights and wars, back and forth, back and forth. But one word that the Lord told the this angel to give him. And that was from Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. And I'm going to read it to you from the New King James Version. But the people who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. This is very, very important. Mark's been te- teaching on this for the past two months. The people that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. And you know that... That reminds me of Daniel. You know, Daniel, when he was thrown in the lion's den, as you know, the lion's den, well heard about that. Daniel, what happened was the new King Darius came into as king, and he positioned Daniel number one in his kingdom. And the men underneath him became very jealous of Daniel. And what happened was they went before the king and said, because they knew Daniel was a man 
that always worship God. Three times a day, Daniel, we go before the Lord in worship and prayer. And they've seen him doing this. And they, they went to the king and said, King, king you need to, to make a law that no one, anyone that worships any god besides you shall be thrown into lion's den. Sure, he, sure enough, he made this law. And then after that, they came to him and said, Daniel, the one you have in command is worshiping these other gods. And the, the king had to reluctantly throw Daniel in that lion's den. But you know, it says that King Darius, that night, he fasted the whole night, and he didn't allow any entertainment. And then the next morning, in verse 19, verse 6, it says, Very early the next morning, the king hurried out to the lion's den. And when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you worship continually, able to rescue you from the lions? And then Daniel answered, Long live the king. My God sent his angels to shut the lion's mouth so that they could not hurt me. And the king was in overjoyed and ordered Daniel to be lifted out of the den, and not a scratch was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Because Daniel had trusted in his God. And the Lord says, those that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. Daniel was strong. And after this, King Darius made a, a, a decree, a decree, I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom shall tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. And yet, as you know, these men that lured Daniel were thrown into the lion's den. And it's as soon as they were thrown in, they were torn to pieces. But Daniel knew his God, and he trusted in his God. Another example I was thinking of was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You all know about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that's in Daniel chapter 3. And King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, and Daniel interpreted this dream. And as a result of it, King Nebuchadnezzar made this statue 90 feet tall. And, and a decree was put out that everyone had to come and worship before this statue. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would not. And it was reported to the king that they would not. So they were brought before the king and given one last chance. Either you bow down to this idol or you'll be thrown into the fire. And this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, your majesty can be sure that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. And they, <laughs> the king got upset about this, and he heated that fiery furnace up seven times hotter. To the point when the men, the guards that threw him into the furnace, they were burned instant, instantly. Anyways, as you know, King Nebuchadnezzar came down after that, and he said, he looked in the furnace, and he said, I thought we only threw three people in there. 
I see four. You know who was in the furnace with him? The Lord was in the furnace with him. Because they knew their God. And this is what, and this is what King Nebuchadnezzar said. In verse 28, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His, he sent his angels to rescue his servants who trusted in him. He sent his, he sent his angels to rescue them who trusted in, in him. And as the king said, when he, they, he called them out of the furnace, and they didn't even smell a smoke. Their clothes weren't even scorched at all. Their hair wasn't even singed. You see, they knew their God. They were strong, and they carried out great exploits. And because of that, King Nebuchadnezzar made a decree. He said, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then, you know, and it says that um, he made a decree that all the people would speak any words against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be torn from limb to limb. And then he repositioned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, gave him a higher place in the kingdom. So again, they knew their God. Right? Do we know our God? One last example, and you all know this one, is David. David, when he fought Goliath, I don't know if you realize around the story of that, but David was, he was around 16, 17 years old, and his dad sent him with food to take food to his brothers who were in this war against the Philistines. And the Philistines were on one mount, and the Israelites, the army of the Israelites were on the other, and here this giant was in between. And this giant came out when David was there, and David declared, how dare this man defy the armies of the living God? And the men heard this, and they brought him to King Saul. And, King, and David said, to, yes, how dare, how dare this man defy the armies of the living God? He said, I will slay this man just like I slew the bear and the lion. And David went out there and, as you know, fought this giant with a sling and a stone, and he slung it right between his temple, and this giant went down. And, and Israel won the war. Sorry. I'm still not sure about that. But, <laughs> are you not sure? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but you know, David knew for sure. He knew for, he knew for sure who his God was. Amen. And he was victorious. He was strong and carried out great exploits, didn't he? And I say this to you, because the Lord sent an angel to tell Daniel about this, about what was about to come. And we, brothers and sisters, are in the last days. And we need to know our God because we're going through a time that we need the Lord to bring us through it. And we'll come through it strong and we'll do great exploits. So, one last word, and that is, God loves you very much. And we serve a risen God. And we are victorious because of him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for giving me this time.
Thank you. You think of um, these, these great stories of the past, these men and women who um, did these great, great exploits. And we, we read about uh, and hear about them. I love how Brian shared their stories. And we, we think about them as just all these amazing superheroes from the past, but they were very real people. And so this morning we have to really consider is how does that affect us this morning? The people who knew their God back then did great things. What about the people who know their God today? And that verse was simply, it was prophetic in that it, it was speaking of people yet to come. It was historic in that we look back and we see that it actually did happen. But it's descriptive of a type of person here this morning around this room. There's people who know their God. There's people, the ones who will stand strong. And there's people who, uh, you know, are going to do great things as a result. And so, you know, as we take that from, from there to, to us this morning, I want you to consider maybe this thought. Have you considered how many messages you've heard about saving the world? And I don't mean sermons. I mean messages you hear about people saving the world. Uh, you may not have recognized, but you hear them in, in the movies all the time. Have you realized that every single one of these characters, this, it represents somebody who saved the world? Uh, we watched Ant-Man the other night. What a waste of time. Um, <laughs> but this guy who saved the world multiple times, as if it's like, yeah, no big deal. I saved it once, can save it again, right? Uh, and uh, maybe you're not into superheroes, but you've seen other um, movies that, that are based on saving the world, like uh, saving the world from aliens, yeah, Will Smith back in the day and all these other, you know, these alien encounter movies or, you know, um, saving, uh, saving the world from the Russians. It used to be. I, I'm not sure who it is now. But uh, and then, you know, the historical movies of, you know, the, uh, fighting the Nazis or or even just fighting against disease like Outbreak. Anybody remember Outbreak? You know, saving the world from Ebola and uh, different different things. But we have all these and even scriptures full of stories, Esther and David and and these these men and women who s- saved their nation, saved their world. We hear this message over and over and over again. Second thing is you hear it in songs. You know, Bonnie Tyler sang that famous song, I need a hero. Yeah, some of you have heard it. I need a hero, right? Uh, whether that's uh, just that, that thought of I need somebody to ride in and, and save the day. Even Christian songs. A guy named um, Andrew Peterson wrote these words, do you feel the world is broken? And the answer is we do. You know, do we feel that the shadows deepen? Like We do. Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Yeah, we do. You know, we hear about this saving the world and and this need for the world to be saved over and over and over again. Uh, Maybe in different ways. If you watch the news, I hope you don't watch it too much. But, uh, you know, have you heard of climate change? Have you heard of this thing? (laughs) Climate change, right, man? It's like it's, it's responsible for everything. Fires, climate change, you know, uh, the, uh, your fish died, climate change, you know, it's, it's the floods, it's the drought, it's the hot, it's the cold, doesn't matter what it is, it's climate change, all the records, and everyone needs to do their part to what? Save the world. Save the world. Today's not about climate change. All I'm saying is that the concept of saving the world resonates within us. There's a reason why people all over the planet will be like, we got, we got to do something to save the world. We have this inner knowledge or this inner thinking that our world needs to be saved. It's not quite right. And we hear it over and over and over again. And I want to share two things about that. One is that the repetition of hearing something over and over and over again, that repetition can reinforce. It reinforces. It's, remember when you were a kid having to learn times tables? What they do? Over and over and over again. They were just getting you ready for parenting. Right, there's a tip for you. Just re- repetition reinforces. And, and, you know, if they didn't learn it, then it's also a good tool for husbanding. 
So if you're married, just you, you got to tell them a few extra times. Yeah, I know some of you are looking like, yeah, yeah, see, even the preacher knows. But repetition, it not only reinforces, it also has the flip side of it, it can desensitize. You know, we post a sign, you know, clean your hands after using the washroom. People see it once, like, oh, I should do that. And then they see the sign every week and then just totally forget. Why? Because once you see something over and over and over again, it actually desensitizes you to it. And many of you will recognize that as you see a sign you've seen 100 times on the way home today and go like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I've driven past it 99 times and never saw it. It's why addiction works, is that we get desensitized to this repetition. Paul in the New Testament would write things often to people. He's like, hey, don't you know? Like, haven't I told you? Let me remind you of something. Have you forgotten all things that they've heard over and over and over again because it can be desensitizing. And so the, the point this morning is there's one thing we should never allow ourselves to become desensitized to, and that is the fact that the world needs to be saved. That we, we can't allow ourselves. So even if you hear it this morning, like, oh yeah, I've heard all those messages, the world needs to be saved, the world needs to be saved, that that doesn't become desensitized, but that, that we actually awaken to that idea because it is the greatest mission of all time is this mission to save the world. It's why it comes up all in these places. It's in us. There's this knowledge that, and, and you know, really, it's what God has placed in us because it's his mission. It's a divine mission to save, to truly save the world. It's been his mission from the beginning of time, and it continues on today. And, you know, we've even heard it so many times uh, in this. You could probably quote it. If I, we don't even have to put it on the screen, but if I was to say God's mission can be described in this way, for God so loved the world that he... So if you didn't understand all the mumbling, it was this, that God so loved, what? The world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And here it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He came on a mission to save the world because it truly does need to be saved. But we can become desensitized to that message and that mission as believers, even today, by a number of different ways. We can be distracted from the mission, desensitized by being distracted. For instance, focusing on this message of climate change. It is, it is on purpose that it's being um, repeated and repeated and repeated. And for the church, it can become just a distraction. It can become the distraction that in some way we think, oh, on the inside, we think we're making a difference. We think we're going to save the world. We want to make a difference, and we think we're doing it, but we, in that same case, we end up missing the real mission, which is to truly save the world. I don't know if you know this. Our planet is not eternal. We know the end. It's not eternal, but there are things on the planet that are, and they're not things. They're people. The real world that needs to be saved has nothing to do with the planet. And I, I say this only in this for this reason, that at some point, the mission of climate change is going to come against the mission of the church. I promise you. The people who know their God for the right one. Even the sound guy didn't like that point. All right. <laughs> Just kidding. But it, that, that distraction that we focus on something other than the mission of Christ, you know, or the repetition of John 3.16. I know, for God's love the world, he gave his only son to whosoever believes in him, so no perish, but I, I, we heard you. <laughs> right? Man, it's like, God actually loved the world, came to save the world, and what we forget is that the world isn't this planet or some, some vague group of people. It's individual. It's personal. Have you thought of that this morning? Paul said it to Timothy this way. He says, Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying. 
1 Timothy 1.15, everyone should accept it. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, which we're like, okay, yeah, he came to save sinners. We agree. And he says, and I, and I'm the worst of them. I'm the chief of them. He didn't come just to save sinners, Timothy. He came to save me. He didn't come just to save the world. He came to save me, Mark. He came to save you. Nay, he came to save you. Why? He came to save you. He came to save you. Have you thought of that this morning? Just think of that. I'm the one who needed saving. Jesus didn't just come on a mission to save the world. It was me. It was you. There's a song that says this. It was my sin that held him there. It wasn't just the sin of the world. It was mine. The stuff where I knew I should do something and I did the opposite. And I don't even know why. Like I wanted to do the right thing. I still did the wrong thing. I know there's this brokenness. I know that if I'm to stand before a holy God someday, I am not good enough. There's, there's no way. If someone knew all my thoughts even, they would know that no matter what it looked like on the outside, inside, I was a sinner. And you know, I think that's so, so important that every single person has that realization whether you've been raised in church or not, is that realization of, you know what? No, <laughs> I'm not good on my own. There's nothing good in me. I am that sinner that needed salvation. Many churches will stop there and just keep beating you up with that every single week. Bunch of sinners, totally rotten to the core. People go to those churches and be like, oh yeah, beat me up again. I loved it. <laughs> but that's not where the story ends. The story doesn't end there because I think if we realize, okay, I'm the one that needed to be saved, the very next step is I'm the one he saved. I'm the one he saved. Anybody else? Yeah, I'm the one he saved. Thank you, Charlie. Needed that. You know, when we didn't deserve it, couldn't earn it, I'm the one he saved. Paul says it um, to the Romans in Romans 4 verse 6. He says, David even spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous, declared sin free without working for it. Verse 7, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yeah, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Man, it's that thought like, yeah, it was me. He, he cleared my record of sin. And we'd love to say, oh, man, that's good news. But let me say this. It doesn't stop with he saved me. Because he didn't come to save only me. He came for more than just me. Because we can be desensitized to that and think, oh, at least I'm saved. I'm going to heaven one day. Phew. That's great. You know, I'm just going to kind of coast my way there. Sorry about the rest of you, folks. Like my friend Charlie says, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, well, sucks to be them. He didn't say that part. (laughs) But sometimes we live like that's the way we feel. And I just want to challenge you with this thought. I bet that every person in this room knows someone who's like, yeah, you know what? They're not rescued yet. Maybe it's somebody in your family. You've got a brother or sister. You've got a parent. You've got a child. You've got an aunt and uncle. Somebody who's like, yeah, yeah, they, they, they don't know the truth of this message yet. They're still living their lives lost. And I've tried reaching out to them, and they just don't listen to me anymore. You know, I've tried to share, but for some reason, they, they, they don't want to hear my voice. And what's the prayer of those people? God, would you send someone? Would you send someone on a mission who cares about my kid like I care about them? Would you send somebody to rescue them? I remember my, a number of years ago, my brother-in-law's house caught on fire in the middle of the night. He was actually on the fire department and kind of accidentally helped start his own house on fire. And uh, so then when uh, it was burning, of course, they call the fire department in Jarvis, and he's got the little pager, and so he hears all the guys, yeah, okay, we're responding to the fire, responding to the fire. And he's like, he gets on the pager, he's like, 
Get going, fellas. It's my house that's on fire. Like, don't respond to this as like, this is just another house fire. It's my house. Like, care about it like it's yours. Get here as fast as you can. And I think that's the mission we need to have in the heart for people around us. That, you know what, it doesn't matter if they're my brother, my sister, my aunt, my uncle. They're somebody's brother. They're somebody's sister. They're someone's child. That They're deeply loved by, by friends, family, and the Lord. That that would be our mission. That it would be in our hearts and not desensitized to that. And so I want to leave you with this thought. Is we're we're going to um, uh, share communion together at the end of the service. So if our ushers, if you guys can head on to the back and just, just get ready. I'll let you know when to come back in. But Jesus came on a mission to save the world, and he accomplishes that in two ways. First was he came to die on a cross so that there was actually forgiveness, that he really did take the sin of the world, as Brian described, and he, he, he conquered sin and eternal death for us. That's what he did. And as he hung on the cross, his final words were, It is finished. I've come, uh, I've, I, I've accomplished what I've come to do. It's, it's finished. Salvation has been bought for the world. But what we need to realize is when he said, it is finished, it was actually just beginning. That his mission was just beginning. And it was this, that he would, through the, through, from then till now, through two ways, carry on this mission. It's one, through the gospel, and two, is through the church. Through the message and through the messengers. The gospel was simply just good news that a victory had been won. In the Old Testament, it was when those guys were running, you know, from the battle because they couldn't text them and say, hey, we won. They would run, you know, miles, like many are familiar with Marathon, where they ran and ran and ran to tell, to tell the, the news of the battle. And that's what he's saying, that it, it has been won. There's been a victory won. And this morning, that is the message that we want to share with every person in this place regardless of what your past is, regardless of, of all of the screw-ups, the mess-ups, the, all of it. There's been victory over that in your place, in your stead. And Paul said it this way, that the message itself is the power of God to salvation. Let me just read some scriptures for you. If you have, to, if you have a pen, take notes. If you're not quick enough, you can watch it again online and grab it. But listen to these words. Paul says in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work. It's saving everyone who believes. The Jew first, also the Gentile. The good news tells us how God made us right in his sight. It's accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it's through faith that a righteous person has life. 1 Corinthians 1.18, he repeats, he says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. They think, how can that mean anything for me today? But he says, but for those who know they're being saved, they know it's the power of God. They know it's saving them. And that message is such a great message, but it needs a messenger to share it. And it's not pastors. It's the, the church, the gathering of people. And here's how, here's how Jesus described it, and here's how the New Testament writers described it. Mark 16, verse 15, Jesus told them, his disciples, go into all the world and preach the good news. Tell people the good news of what's happened for them. Matthew 28, and he says, and now go and make disciples, which means train them to go tell the good news and make disciples so that they can go tell the good news to, to everyone. And then Matthew 16, Jesus has this conversation with Peter. He says, I say to you, Peter, it's, uh, that upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build a gathering and the powers of hell are not going to conquer it. This is a big deal. And then in Acts 2, it says, it just shares how he did it. He says, the Lord was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. Not Sundays, not Saturday nights at church. Daily, every day, adding to the gathering of people. Those who are being saved by the gospel. Jude 22, he says this, You must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering and rescue others. 
He's saying to the church, you're the ones who now get to rescue others. Rescue them by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Right there where he's like the gates of hell. It's like there's going to be people at death's door who are going to hear the good news and be like, you know, (laughs) I'm going to follow him. And their eternity will be changed as a result. And then 2 Corinthians 5, it just says this. It means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life's gone. Hallelujah. The new life has begun. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task, this job of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. You could ask our ushers to come up with the, the elements of communion. The church being this gathering, not, not a building, not a service, not a ritual, a gathering of people. This morning, you are that gathering of people. Maybe some followers of Jesus, maybe some not, but he called that gathering of Jesus followers to simply be a gathering that gathered with a, with a purpose, to gather with a mission, to the mission that he came to save the world was now spread to a number of different people with a message to, of good news, a message to save the world. So this morning as we take this, maybe you're familiar with communion. You're like, okay, I know what's going on here. Maybe you're not, and that's totally fine. If you're visiting, welcome with us. Uh, j- feel free to take this. It, we're going to explain what it is in a minute. But it, Jesus had this memorable uh, meal with his disciples that involved bread and, uh, and wine. These, this is not bread, for sure not. And uh, this is not wine, also for sure not. So if you take this, you can simply just eat it and drink it. It's a nice little snack. But for those, for those here this morning who are like, yeah, but I understand why Jesus did this. There's a, a, a lot more meaning to what we're about to do. And Paul reminds the believers of why Jesus used some bread and used some wine as a reminder for them. A reminder of his mission, a reminder of what he'd come to do. You know, last night as I was prepping, I realized that I hadn't wrote enough material down for this time where stuff gets passed. And I was reminded as I sat there and thought, oh, I could just stand there silently, awkwardly, and wait. But I was reminded of something, and I want to share it with you. I was reminded of this story. uh, um, It's a movie, maybe you've seen it, called Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw Ridge is a true story with guy um, focused around the life of a guy named Desmond Doss. Uh, Desmond Doss was recruited into the army, but because of his religious conviction, he would not hold a weapon. He would never fire a weapon. And so they said, well, you can't leave the army, and the only thing we can do is make you into a medic. And Desmond Doss, you know, just a little guy. He can barely, like, he, he couldn't, he, he, was, he was looked down upon the whole time, but he just, like, it doesn't matter, it didn't matter, I'll, I'll do what I'm, I've been called to do. And uh, as, as you find out later, they go to fight this battle, and they, they, they land on the beach, and they climb this, like, 100-foot cliff with their ladders, and at the top of the, the cliff, they engage with the enemy. And all of his men are going out fighting, and Desmond starts seeing that they're, they're, getting, they're getting hit. And he begins to run back and forth to these people who are wounded, and he begins treating their wounds just amid all the gunfire. And then he hears those words, retreat, and he realizes... We're losing this battle. 
And he grabs the guy he's working on and he drags him with all of his might to the edge of that cliff. And there's guys there waiting and they lower that man down to the ground. And Desmond turns around and he runs right back out into the battle again. And he grabs another wounded guy and he drags him all the way back to the cliff. And they lower him to the ground. And they're like, Desmond, we gotta go, we gotta go. He's like, no, 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 I gotta just go get one more. And he runs back out into the, to the, to the fray again and drags another man. And again, and again, and again. I just got to get one more, just one more, just one more, to the point where he's exhausted. He can barely move himself, but his mind, he's like, just one more. And he goes out to that spot, and he finally drags one man back, and he collapses at the top of that cliff himself, totally spent, no energy left. They lower that man down to the safety of the beach. They lower Desmond Doss down to the safety of the beach. And as, you know, hours later when he finally, you know, comes to from this exhaustion, they're like, Desmond, do you have any idea how many people you just rescued? Do you have any idea how many men are alive today simply because you went for just one more? They find out the number was 75 men. 75 men bigger than him just would never give up. Why? Because it didn't matter about his limitations. It didn't matter about it. He was, he was on a mission to save just one more. And you know, that's the mission of Christ. That movie's impressive, but his mission is far more. Far more. Because all around us, we have lost people. And maybe sometimes we can get, you know, we can get to the place where we're like, oh, look, our church is full. This is great. And I just want to remind you to be on a mission. There are people that are not in his kingdom yet that need somebody to have that thought just one more. They're not able to save themselves. They're not able to rescue themselves. They're going to need somebody who's going to take the mission of Christ and go and say, I'll tell you the truth. I'll share hope with you. I love you enough not to just leave you where you're going and the journey that you're on. I want to see just one more. Just one more. And that's the mission and the message of communion. Let me read these words to you. Paul, he said to the church in Corinth, he says in verse 11, he says, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed that the Lord Jesus, he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he said to the disciples around the room as he broke it in pieces, this is my body broken for you. I'm going to hang on a cross tomorrow morning, but I'm not doing it because I'm a sinful man. I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for you and do this he says in remembrance of me every single time and so tonight or today as we take this wafer it is with that thought that we remember what Jesus did for me personally he took my sin on that cross he took my brokenness on that cross man as we take it together would you remember what that means personally for you today Jesus I'm thankful I'm grateful that you went to that cross and you stayed there Lord, you were God. You're God of all. You could have left that cross. And yet, you loved us enough to stay. Thank you for enduring that pain. God, thank you for doing everything that needed to be done that we might be saved. We give you praise today for it, Jesus. We honor you and honor your name. It says, after dinner, he took the cup, which was customary. And he says, this cup actually represents a new covenant between God and his people, because it wasn't just individual, it was with the group of people. Not just one, but for many, an agreement confirmed with my blood. He says, do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're actually announcing the Lord's death until he comes. You're speaking the gospel this morning simply by taking this with us, saying that I believe 
that his blood shed on a cross 2,000 years ago had the very power to wash me clean today. Oh, amen to that. I don't know about you, but my past is ugly. It's dirty. It needed to be washed clean, and there was only one way, and it was him. Same is for you today. Let's take that. Jesus, we thank you this morning for the truth of your gospel, for the power that it is. It seems so foolish, and yet we've experienced true life change as a result. Jesus, thank you for giving us the opportunity to know the Father. Thank you for the opportunity to live a life the way it was meant to be, that those questions of eternity get answered because of what you've done for us. Father, I pray for those in this room this morning who don't know you yet. As they hear these words, that even as the gospel itself does what you said it would do, Lord, I pray over them, that they would recognize your voice calling them, calling them home to you. Father, I pray that they would be courageous to take that simple step of obedience and say, yeah, Jesus, I'll leave my old life behind and I'll follow you. The way, the truth, the life. Holy Spirit, thank you for doing what we can't do. We can truly save lives today in this place. And I thank you for it in, in your name. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I want to leave you with one final thought. Why are we talking about this? Why are we doing this series, man, on a, uh, the mission of Christ and his church? Man on a mission, let me leave you with this thought. If you've missed everything else, don't miss this. That we want to remind our church of the why we're doing what we're doing. We're not satisfied with where we've come. We're not satisfied with just reaching who we've reached. We want to remember this. And let me leave you with these thoughts. So we might remember as a church what he's done for us, but also what he's called us to do. That as a church of individuals, we would be mission-minded. That we remember the mission. It's so easy for us to think church is like a cruise ship where you come and consume and like, oh, I'll just like make it comfortable for me. But that we'd realize that Kingsway and the church is meant to be a rescue mission just looking for lost people. That we wouldn't simply not be consumers of Christianity or Christian things, but that we would be disciples of Christ. That we would remember that we're building his kingdom and not Kingsway. And in that, we would be in cooperation with other churches and not in competition with them. That we would be the church on a mission to save the world. That we would be men on a mission, women on a mission, individually but corporately together to truly save the world and to remember that. And I'll leave you with this thought. Think about the Davids and the Daniels and the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's of the past. Who are they in the room today? Who are the ones who say, man, I just want to know my God and God, whatever you want me to do, man, I'll do it in your strength. I'm on your mission. The people who truly know Christ will be the ones who do his mission and our world needs it more than ever. Father, I pray you seal this word in our heart today. May it bear fruit to your glory. We go in your name, the name above all names, the name worthy of adoration and praise. Jesus, you are the light of the world. You are the hope of the hope of our souls. God, you're the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And in your presence, there's joy forevermore. May we experience that this week and may those around us sense it, know it, desire it. And may we have the words of your good news to share it. I pray it in your name. Amen. Amen.